welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Message today, full of grace. Um, uh, Our theme will be God's grace, uh, sort of faith in Jesus, and we're going to also have a look at human nature and the nature of sin, so there will be a dark kind of uh, bit. Um, You know, when it comes to um, God's grace, uh, Paul said, um, and he was one of the hardest working people in the New Testament, he said, you know, I worked harder than everyone, but it wasn't really me. It was God's grace in me. And so was he just deflecting praise to God? Stop what, John? Was he just reflecting praise to God? Uh, Was he just playing with semantics? Or did he really mean that he had a divine enabling power in his life that helped him to do uh, what he could do and live an extraordinary life? Because he did live an extraordinary life. And so I want to explore that today. Simon's been doing a message on the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, But another term that we find in the New Testament is being filled with grace. And uh, let's have a look firstly at our um, John 1 verse 14 to 18 in the New Living Version or New International Version. Sorry. Uh, It says the word... Uh, When it says the word there, it means the living expression. It means like God made visible, okay? Became flesh, human, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, the invisible God, full of grace and truth. So grace is centered in and comes from uh, Jesus Christ, and it's, it's, he's the one that established it. But the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Grace. And he's among us and gives us grace in our lives. Carrying on, it said, John testified concerning him and he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace, or grace upon grace. There's no shortage, that's what it's saying. Already given. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And so as Christians, great verses, eh? Don't you love the Gospel of John? As Christians, we unanimously agree uh, that Jesus uh, was God with skin on. That's what I tell the Jehovah's Witnesses and they shake their heads. Jesus was God with skin on, the promised Messiah or Saviour of the world. So Jesus equals fully human and fully God. And that's what Christians believe. And that's a whole huge thing on its own. You can study that for hours. So for Christians, Jesus is the fullest expression of what God intends humanity to be. If you've been walking with the Lord a little while, you'll know that you're following Jesus and you look at his example 
And when you fall short in areas, you look at Jesus and you go, wow, I need to change. That's how it works, isn't it? No? Is it just me? I fall short most days. Christians know they have received the gift of grace or unmerited favour or God's riches at Christ's expense, as the acronym goes. Um, Our next verse in 1 Peter 4.10 in the ESV says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. And we're going to look today at how grace is really varied. You know, when you look at a diamond, it's got lots of little aspects and sides, and God's grace is like that. And uh, that verse is talking about serving grace, but it also mentions varied grace. So there's a grace on you to help others. There's a grace on you to live largely for God. We benefit hugely by receiving God's grace. But like love, grace is also a verb. It's an action thing. Love is nothing until you do it, correct? You know, you can have all the intention in the world, It's really funny that humans tend to judge others by what they do and themselves by their good intentions. We think we're so cool, but on a bad day, we know we're not. We know we suck. But you know, there's a God that loves us and helps us get up again. And this grace is expressed in and through us in a large variety of ways. So, down another street... Why do we need God's grace? Let's look at what the Bible calls sin or what's commonly referred to as the human condition. When we have a look at evil, there's two types of evil and suffering in the world. There's moral evil, uh, and that's the suffering that humans inflict on each other. And there's natural evil, which is caused by illness, breaking both your arms, fires, floods, earthquakes, etc. You know, if I was Simon, I'd be feeling a bit sore from all the teasing than the broken arms. <laughs> I've seen some of it. Okay. The Bible's focus is not so much on why is it like this, but how can we come to know God in a world like this? That's where your focus needs to be. That's where the Bible's focus is. So what is sin? The simplest and most common term from this Greek word there means miss the mark, to miss the mark, like an arrow going to the bullseye that can never hit it. Uh, it Miss the right point, deviate, go off course. We all find ourselves corrupted by the rebellion of humanity. We're all victims, you and I. Um not only just in our behaviours or actions, by the way, we know we all do dumb stuff, but it's in our thoughts. It's our intents, our ambitions, our internal condition. It's all deeply broken. And I know Wayne Garton knows this because he wrote a book called Broken and explored that. It's, it's not just some of the bad things we do. Sin has affected the very core of our humanness, of the human heart. So no wonder the book of Proverbs says, guard your heart, because out of that you live your life, 
out of that, the issues of life flow. It's so important to look after yourself with God. And the Holy Spirit really helps us to do that. God's grace really helps us to do that. So it's not just about the things on God's naughty list. It's us. It's what we like. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know, and like I said, on a bad day, you find out (laughs) about yourself when you've pushed past a boundary or when you've been upset and you just push in on someone else and then in hindsight, when you settle down, it's like, oh no, got another apology to make. We're designed to live in harmony of relationship with, this is my next point, God, each other, ourselves, and creation. God. We all disregard God. We all seek dependence from the source of life itself. We all try to do it in our own strength and do it in our own way. And we get so damaged and we die on the inside each other. You know, we can see the nations jostling today and fighting over the school lunch of limited resources. It's all over the media. Ourselves, because of the failure of the human heart to live in the image of God or what Jesus is like, we all need rescue. We need salvation. We need redemption. Otherwise, the setting is like Dehumanization really becomes the norm without God's grace and God's help. And creation, instead of good stewardship or management, we have environmental problems, degradation. All right, that's a big thing at the moment, isn't it? And uh, just because I know Christians have been uh, criticized a lot because in Genesis, when God said, you know, to steward and manage the earth. Um, the translation in there, it's take dominion, rule. And uh, that's been abused by the Western world. It's been abused by a lot of superpowers, actually, that uh, push, push their agenda at the expense of the environment, and it's not right. It's not my job to preach environmentalism today, but it is a thing, and you all know it. Sin has many faces, Um, I'm just going to do two today because it's really complex. Man, it's complex. Humans are complex. Their problems are complex. But the answer is simple. The first one that we see in human beings is we proclaim ourselves as God. And it's mastery and dominion. It's a self-centered idolatry is what the Bible would call it. Or if you want a psychological term, it would be the sin of the egocentric self. There you go. Sin is grace denied. It's a refusal to be thankful and to live thankfully and gladly in God. You guys here are mostly Christians, so you've learned that's not the way to live, eh? It's resistance to our eternal relation to God and our need for God's grace. It says no, no to the invitation to receive God's gift of life, no to a life of glad service to God. Some Christians are still like that. They're, they're kind of like saved but doing their own thing, if that's possible. And no 
to a life of friendship with our fellow creatures. No, we will dominate you. It's that kind of attitude. This causes us to miss the human freedom and maturity intended by God. Do you know our creator intended human freedom? He intended us to grow up and to mature, to enjoy our lives. And, uh, but you know, they get destroyed by us lording it over one another. Think genocide, think Holocaust. Think whole species of nature being destroyed. And the next one is an other-centered idolatry. It's kind of, it's like a flip side. So you've got one side of the coin and then there's a flip side. And that's why I said sin has many faces. This one is a, a servility. It's, it's, a, it's a slide into powerlessness. We despise ourselves and allow ourselves, allow others to take God's place. It involves self-rejection, self-hatred, being really passive. And it kind of leads to a self-negation, you know, I'm not worth it, and loss. It involves indifference, apathy, fear of initiative, you know, like inability to take really good risks. Someone once said that faith is spelt risk. And it, and it has a, a hopelessness about the enormity of the evils in the world that confront us and just gives up. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's Christians hiding in churches. And that's people depressed. Sounds like the reason for apathy in us sharing the gospel to me. When did you last share your faith with someone? When did you last take a person a step towards Jesus? You might have done that this week by your good example and not even known it. But when did you use your mutus, your lips? It's challenging, eh? Um, and what causes, this causes us to miss this, this kind of other-centered idolatry and this powerlessness, it causes us to miss the small steps that we could take and the opportunities towards peace in relationships, reconciliation, justice. We don't see them because we're not worth it and neither are others. Anyway, sin is a universal condition, but it's also a self-chosen act. So sin is something that sits in our hearts, but it's also in the structures of the world. It's, it's also corporate. And it's also something that we're responsible for. Ooh. Sin is inevitable, but not necessary. Thank you, Nyber. That's a quote from him. Sin, uh, I just want to say too, you know, when, when you find victims of sin and people that are not doing well, um, maybe an abuse victim or something like that, you know, never treat them like a right-wing politician would treat the poor and call them lazy. Everyone's created in God's image and likeness, but sin has marred that, sin has damaged that, and everyone needs Christ, and, and, and everyone needs the love of God. You have to straight talk with people sometimes, a bit like I'm doing with you today. 
what I'm trying to do today is just remind you of stuff, remind you of what you already know and get you going on stuff again and get you taking another step. That's what we do on Sunday when we preach the Word of God. We remind ourselves. We learn, hopefully. Hopefully it's not a 35-minute sleep for you. Hey, I just want to look at two very different people. One was found in Numbers 15, 32 to 36. Ta-da! One day, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood. Another translation says sticks on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a day of rest. Everyone rested. They rested their animals. Everyone rested. They didn't do any commercial business. They rested. The people who found, um, found him doing this took him before Moses and Aaron and the rest of the community. They held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. Why? Because the Ten Commandments had just been given and he had just broken one of them. And they were like, oh, what do we do now? You know, and part of our human nature says laws are made to be broken. <clears throat> That's our core. Then the Lord said to Moses, this man must be put to death. Ouch. The whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So when they were in the wilderness as a mobile community, that's how they dealt with things in about... 1400 BC or before common era it's just very interesting to note that many years later just before a Sabbath day we find Jesus Christ the son of God crucified on wood or sticks for the sins of the entire world enabling God's grace would have been good if that guy got the grace then but he didn't so it reminds us that there is a penalty for some of the dumb stuff that we do. There is a penalty to really rebelling against God, especially when you have knowledge and you know and you push past what you know and your convictions and do it anyway. You're more responsible and more accountable. You need God's grace. You can't live without it. You can't purchase it. You can't earn it. It only comes by the means of a gift. And as so far as I know, and hopefully you know, we receive it from Jesus Christ. I don't know any other source where it is. I, when I check all the religious leaders, he's the only one that truly addressed the problems that humanity have. Buddha might have helped with some things, but not like Jesus. Jesus went to the core and dealt with it. In Jesus, we see the Creator taking responsibility for all our stuff. Grace. Yay. A better topic than sin. But you don't appreciate one without knowing the other. So what does grace do in our lives? Um, first of all, this type of grace I just want to touch on and there's heaps so I can't touch on it all it's, it's common grace um, and so in our western culture it's very easy to think because of evolutionary theory and science and stuff that God the creator set everything up 
and step back and there's just these laws of physics that run things. But the ancients never believed that. They believed God was still engaged in creation. And, uh, and the Bible teaches that too. If you look in Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews, you'll find it there. And, uh, and God gives grace to all people, whether they acknowledge him or not. Matthew 5.45 tells us he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good person and sends rain on the good and the bad, or the righteous and the unrighteous. I've met people that aren't Christians, and I can see the grace of God on them, drawing them. I can see God trying to teach them lessons, and they don't even know who God is. And when you talk to them, they say, oh, we've had some experiences like that too. And so God's trying to get them down a path. God's kind of draw them uh, to himself. Um, more and more at the moment across Northland, there's people coming into churches just strangely drawn. I walked past and I had to come in. I've been going past this church and I need to visit. That's the grace of God drawing you. I know for myself, I would never have become a Christian unless it was God drawing me. It was the last thing on my mind. In fact, it was something I was running from. Who here has run from God? Done a Jonah, yeah. <laughs> but God's cool, isn't he? He draws us back in. <clears throat> and we kind of eventually work it out. Yeah. Um, the next one is forgiveness. I remember I said, God, if you're there, if you're there, could you please help me? And I just na- started to notice some things starting to happen to make things easier as long as I didn't do too much dumb stuff. So I had to begin to change. And then it came to a point where I realised that my core was totally had it, and God was way better than what I was. And so I needed to ask him for grace to forgive me of what I'd done. And uh, some people never ever, ever, ever face up to the wrong stuff they've done to others. Some people have done horrendous things and they go to the grave like that. Don't be like that. It's not good. We all do wrong. The Bible calls it sin and that leaves us guilty. With guilty people in New Zealand, they're arrested by the police. Charges are laid against them. They'll either be free and found not guilty or they'll be found guilty and might do a stretch in prison. God's got that problem too. Jesus went to the cross to carry our sin and bear our punishment so we could experience a radical renewal on the inside, a radical cleansing, a lifting of the burden that we carry a cleansing of our lives. It's just it's so wonderful when it happens and it all lifts off you. But sometimes as Christians, we forget that. I've done it. And then you kind of think, why, why is my spiritual ecosystem so unhealthy? Why am I feeling this way? Ah. Oh. And you remember. And you go and talk to God and it all lifts off. Forgiveness. Number two, acceptance. That comes with forgiveness. 
God not only forgives us through grace, but he welcomes us into relationship with him. That's the joy of the Holy Spirit. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see people were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with faith. They exuded. To be full of something is to exude it. If you're full of grace, you know, people around you are going to know. If you have to tell someone that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're not. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Simon has been teaching us, it's not a one-off experience, eh? So get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get filled with the Spirit of grace. Get filled with faith. And people around you will go, whoa, and notice the change in your life. The third one's presence. As I journeyed on, I still had some problems. God's really good. He doesn't take all your problems away. Some just drop off and he leaves you with some. And he leaves you with some stuff to overcome. And he leaves you with some stuff to to depend on him so that you don't go, cool, I feel so clean and cool on the inside. I'm going to go off and live my own life. No, he wants you to be God dependent. He wants you to live close to him. And God's presence is so important for us. It's not the presence of a spiritual father in a distant land. That's not what our relationship with God is to be like. God wants to be present with you in your life, wherever you are, with whomever you're with, with whatever you're doing. You know, when I'm gardening, I get some great insights and I can feel God's presence. And so can you when you're doing various stuff, doing your hobbies and things. God's with you. He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. At a certain time in my life, when I was changing but didn't have much power to change, I cried out to God out of a bit of desperation. God's good at bringing us into a place where we're a bit desperate. And the whole room filled with this awesome presence of God, this awesome love of God, that I just rode a wave for like five months before things settled down and changed so much in that time. Some of you will know what I'm talking about, but that's still available for us today. Grace is also enablement. And uh, God gives you all lots of skills and gifts, and they operate in God's grace. He enables you to do stuff. So don't think you're just on your own and you can't do it. You can. Commit it to God and take the risk. You know, we don't have to remain lame and weak and unable to do stuff with sin dominating us. God's grace intervenes. He gives us the love in our heart, the power, the direction to live an incredible life. And there's a freedom is another thing that grace does. It brings a freedom. You know, it it turns us from addicts and slaves to things into Christ followers, God worshippers. We're willing to take responsibility and live a love of life and live that verb out for the benefit of other people. Our lives become productive. Our lives lift, you know. I'd hate to see 
what my family would be now if God hadn't done a work in me as a young man. They're great young adults now. They are. Thank you, Luke, for reminding me of that. They're doing way better than me. And you know what that means? God's blessed me and we've done a good job as parents. Yep, they still come back, and it's good to have them back. They eat lots, though. <laughs> God gives, God's grace gives you the power to say no when you need to. Sometimes we see, need to say no to stuff. We need to guard our freedom. We need to guard the good things that we have. We need to guard our heart and to turn and go in a better direction. And God will bring your life to a completion. God is a God of completion. There is a power and grace to complete things in your life and do things well. And uh, there'll be a day when you and I are fully restored and we are who we were meant to be. There'll be no more sin, there'll be no more struggle and everything will be restored and we'll worship in the presence of totally amazing grace. Just wrapping up, in the early church, because I've just read the book of Acts the last couple of days. There's some standout people, but you can tell they're all in the flow, but they just mention a few. Stephen, for me, stands out. And God promoted him. He was given this responsibility of serving, of administration, of uh, sort of like a, a welfare kind of a thing. And, uh, but God promoted him and gave him the grace to do miracles. In Acts 6 verse 8, in the Passion Translation, it says this, Stephen, who was a man full of grace and supernatural power, performed many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. Go, Stephen. Yeah. And God also gave him the grace a bit later on to endure some serious suffering, and he became the first martyr. There's a guy called Barnabas. I like Barney. He's full of faith. It says he's full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and God moved around him. There was a grace of God around him. He's a very encouraging person. When he talked to people, they were built up in their faith. They were encouraged. He was, it's great to be an encouraging person. There's enough negativity in this world and enough bleating and carrying on. We need to learn to be encouragers. You know, be like Barnabas. His, Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. I think that's his name, so he's that might have been his nickname. Man, that guy's encouragement. Let's call him encouragement. All right. And uh, here's a lady, Tabitha. She's a very creative, artesian-type lady. She made clothing and all sorts of stuff for everyone. She knitted stuff for everyone's babies. And, and she made clothes and gave them away or sold them. And, uh, you know, and, and when she died... And all the ladies turned up and Peter came along and they were pulling out her garments saying, oh, she's made for us. And the men were going, no more baking. <laughs> and she got raised from the dead. Woo, that's power. And uh, then there's Phoebe. I really like Phoebe. She's a standout leader. She had a grace to be a really good leader. She was a teacher. And Phoebe was an apostle. She had to be an apostle because Paul entrusted her to carry his letters to other places. And the person who carried the letter had to be able to teach the letter and give the intent of the author. So she had to teach like Paul. 
So that woman was an apostle. So there's a few people in Acts. What about you? What are you going to rise to? What's God doing in your life? How's the grace of God working in your life? Can you believe him for more? You know, when I was up early praying this morning, I had the picture of Peter. He'd been out all night working in his own strength, throwing out the net, throwing out the net, and he got nothing, which is very unusual. And then they're coming into shore, and Jesus says, throw your net out on the other side. I mean, what a prat. What a silly thing to say to fishermen that have been doing that all night. And Peter says, well, because it's you, I'll do it. <clears throat> Next minute, the boat's sinking. You know what I mean? And so sometimes we do things in our own strength. I just want to finish by saying today that that picture of working hard and getting nothing and then doing one thing by God instructing you and doing it with God's grace, is the, diff- the result is the difference between your strength and God's strength. It's between working in your own strength and receiving the free gift of God the grace of God and flowing in the life of God. Much more productive. You catch more fish, do more things. What about you? What about you? Where are you at? Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.